God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. Well, God bless and welcome to another episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you are here with us today. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the astounding Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing well. You know, it's feeling very summery oh, here man. in Roanoke, Virginia. It's like in the 80s. Um, and today is a little bittersweet because the organization that I work for, as you know, our as I mentioned before, our signature event is our annual festival. Mm-hmm. And that would normally be going on today, the third Saturday oh, of man. May. We had postponed oh. it to July 11th, hope, you know, hoping that what's going on with the pandemic would have allowed uh you know, a large size gathering because it's it's held at a at a park downtown in downtown Roanoke mm-hmm. and we estimate I mean there are thousands of people that come out. Um and we just realized at our last board meeting this yeah, that's not gonna happen. So mm-hmm. uh so it's actually canceled. We made an announcement earlier this week. I had to send out communications that it was canceled. Oh, um, so we're trying to do something in lieu of that. Uh, but yes, that would have been that would have been today. And you know, since I've I've only been on the job since August, it would, it would have been my first one. So. Oh man, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. It's this pandemic has disrupted so much, and and um, a lot of people are hurting. There's the there's the large ones, you know, the large pains of, of loss of life, of loss of income. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then these smaller things, they hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's not as bad as losing a loved one, but man, it hurts. Graduation. When you're looking forward you know, to something. So oh, now graduations. I'm seeing oh. all of the announcements. And what people have done, I noticed, is, and maybe they do do this, you know, in normal circumstances. Right. Um, but just like on billboards, on people's houses, they're having signs created, you know, like the like picture of whoever lives in that house and they're a class of 2020. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, so I work in a, a performance venue and uh, last week I heard some singing going on coming from the, the main performance hall. And I got, actually I got a little excited because I thought, Oh my gosh, they're preparing for an event for when yeah. all of this, you know, when we can start having those. And um, I went and asked the stage manager. He goes, no, the stage manager, he says, no, that's um, that's a school that's recording mm. a graduation. And that was, you know, I just had this moment of sadness for them because it's like here you've worked and. You know, and all in in the rest of us, like we've been able to put on our cap and gown and gather with our friends and you know and have hugs and take pictures, but not the class of twenty twenty. 
Yeah, I mean, you think about what these students have missed out on. You think about the senior year, right? And I'm just thinking of high school right now. And, and then there's all those who had college graduations, which is such an incredible opportunity. What about those families who, um, you know, this is the first graduate in the family to graduate from college. Yeah. And then it doesn't happen. And oh, it's just heartbreaking to think. But, you know, those high school students, too, they're not just missing graduation, but they've missed their, the, the bulk of their senior year, that last semester, you know, their prom and mm -hmm. all the all, all the celebration going up, all the senior activities. Yeah. And so, you know, folks, as, as you know, um, in your churches, in your neighborhoods, you know, seniors, I don't know how you celebrate them, but celebrate them best you can because they really did take it in the teeth. And all those athletes who lost their final season, and it's it just, it's heartbreaking to, to think of the loss around this pandemic. Um, and I think one of the losses that we feel the most is, is, as Christians is the loss that we have in our worshiping communities, in our churches. We, we miss that. And I know there are some now where we're heading towards the back end of May uh, for a lot of states. May 15th was kind of the end of the stay-at-home order, and things are starting to slowly open back up. Uh, some states just open everything. Other states are, um, you know, using some kind of an opening process with different phases. Um, things are starting to come back for parts of the country, but there has been a loss. And what's interesting is even as things are starting to open up, people who are smart in the church are realizing we can't just open up as if, everything is the way it always was. There's been a change. Church is different now. And so what we want to do today is we kind of, and, and this is the close of our second season. Um, as we close our season today, we want to do so looking forward and looking forward at the church and say, what do we think church might look like in the future? And we're using a couple different things. One, there was an article that came out um, just a, a few days ago that we commend to you. Um, it's an article that was written by uh, a, a woman who has done a lot of work in a lot of different areas in, in the workforce. Her name is Tabitha, Tabitha I believe it's Capich? Cap, Capis? Capic. Uh, yes. Um, it's on byfaithonline.com. The name of the article is Global Church Innovation how the pandemic is changing the church and why it's okay, which is a very compelling article that uh, I know I'll be sharing with the rest of the leadership of my church as we think these things through, introduces an idea called design thinking, which is a way to help strategize as you move forward. Um, and so, Lisa, that's one article we've looked at. And the other was a, a Twitter thread that you brought to yes. my attention. Why don't you talk to us about that a little bit? Yes. So, um, so there was a Twitter thread, uh, found a, uh, this was from May, it was on May 5th from Derek Ratney. And I know that Derek, I don't know Derek personally, but I do know that he is a pastor in the PCA. Um, so right there, you know, he gives, he scores automatic points with me. Sorry. Yeah. That's, I mean, no, it's okay. <laughs> he's, he's close. He's close to the promised land. You know, you'll get to the EPC eventually. Okay. And so he, um, so he talks about, um, uh, you know, he starts off by saying a few shifts I hope to see in the church in the U.S. post COVID-19. And the reason that this interests me because, you know, one can't help but think about, you know, how has this been changing church? And not just the mechanics of how we do church, but what church produces, how mm. church helps shape and form us 
as we as we are growing as you know paul says in ephesians we're growing in as a holy temple unto the lord and i'm hoping through all of this that um that there are some superfluous ways um that we have associated with church that will fall off that will burn off mm. um but anyways he goes into uh saying a few shifts i hope to see in the church in the u.s post COVID 19 from consumerism, church form pro provides a product like preferred by people who are already Christian to mission church worships and form Christians to love God and neighbor in our increasingly post-Christian context. Now, I can go yeah. through and read the whole thread if you'd like. Or... Well, I think what we what we could do, because we are coming at this from different perspectives, right? So you're, you're approaching thinking about church after COVID. Um, from a congregant's perspective, mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking as a pastor who, who is trying to consider all the mechanics of how this works. Mm -hmm. and, and what we have um, from Brother Derek here is um, six, six points. I mean, he, he breaks it out. Each tweet is its own point uh, in this Twitter thread. And I, I, I'd love it if we kind of just went point by point because I think it will create really cool fodder okay. for this conversation as we go forward. So this first one, a shift from consumerism to mission, a shift from being about what do Christians like to how do we reach those who aren't Christians. As a, as a congregant, wh what, is that, what does that look like? Why do you think that resonates so much? Um, I think it resonates, like I said, it's so ways in which, and I'm going to speak to, you know, just kind of mainstream evangelicalism. Sure. Um, you know, we, we went from sort of this, you know, attract attraction model, um, you know, like things that came out of Willow Creek, um, mm. to a, a more subtle form, I think, into how do we, you know, looking at how do we cater to people? How do we, you know, how do we, it, how do we attract people? There, there still was this kind of ethos of we need to attract people. And so we need to be creative about, you know, how we market church um, and particularly those who are either in and out, you know, that are not consistent churchgoers or do not go to church at all. Um, and so what I think what that has created is, like I said, a lot of uh, superfluous kind of programming hmm. that, you know, it, you know, tickles people. And again, I'm speaking in generalities here. Um, there was an article that came out right when things started shutting down by Trevin Wax in the Gospel Coalition. I may have mentioned it in a previous episode. I don't remember, okay. but I can't even remember the name of it. But basically he talked about how when he and his wife went to the store as you know, people, you know, as this things were closing down and people not realizing they could go to the store and the strip, you know, stripping the shelves, except the candy aisle was mm. full. And mm -hmm. he was making this correlation to the fact that they knew that in this particular circumstance, candy was not going to sustain them. They needed right. the meat, they needed the toilet paper, you mm -hmm. know, they needed those things that are going to keep us going. And so, my hope. And all of this is that we're really looking at ways in which we have created a, you know, this attraction for people instead of and over above attracting them to the head of the church. Because he is the one 
who gives us sustenance, you know, and I believe that through all of this, it, you know, when you're, when you're in times of plenty, you know, things are going well, you, you know, you kind of, you know, you kind of skip along your merry way, but it's in times like these where we're confronted with our deepest need. Um, and so I'm hoping that it does go from a consumerism where we're kind of, you know, we have this a la carte approach to church. Oh, you know, I don't really like the singing there. And, you know, I like mm. I like this church because the, um, you know, it's decorated nicely. Um, I don't really like the way that pastor preaches to a, a, a more of a recognition to what makes the church the church to what is going to form and shape us and help and propel us out into the world with the message of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, in, in a way that it just it's stripped of all of this extra um, yeah. stuff. Well, you know, I, I think when I, when I reflect on this, you know, a shift from consumerism to mission, so much of, of the attractional model was how do we reach the non-Christian and make church um, accessible to them? Mm-hmm. And, and what even Willow Creek's, you know, they, they put out a book called Move a few years ago. And um, what Willow Creek had done, this is before the, the scandal of Bill Hybels, they, they'd done really a, a post-op on their whole attractional church model. And they were the ones who came out and said, this does not work. What we're doing is we're getting people into our worship service that is attractional. But the idea was once they grow, we move them to another service, which is much more meaty. And, and what they're finding is they weren't able to move people there. Um, and, and I think what's happened is it is a more subtle form. It's not, you know, we're not up there playing ACDC songs in worship to try and get people in, right? But um, which is something people were doing at one point. Um, but what we've done, and I like the word, it's more subtle. I like the way you put that. Is it's about how do we um, how do we make the marginal Christian comfortable, and and I think that's what we've done is is we we mm-hmm. keep things you know we we don't want to push too deep into things we don't want to push too hard we don't want to get too much into the theological issues that are going to really divide us quote unquote right and so you get a lot of that theology divides mission unites nonsense. Um, or, or you, you know, and, and it is, it gets into some of the social issues too. We don't want to talk too much about these social issues because if we do, then um, it's going to push people away. We don't want to push people away. We want to make sure that we keep people coming in. Um, but when we do that, when our focus is how do we keep people comfortable rather than how do we create missionaries in local communities and in local neighborhoods, um, it, it does. It, it it is about the preferences of the Christians rather than the equipping of the Christians, mm-hmm. and so I really do appreciate this first point from from Derek because I think he's on to something here. Where you know this is from my perspective as a pastor at Goodwill Church up in New York. What we found is what we have six pastors in our on our pastoral staff. We're a relatively large church, especially for the area. We're pretty large, and um, what we've done is we've done a, a daily Bible study. Every pastor takes a different day. So Monday through Saturday, there's an hour-long Bible study and uh, that's online through Facebook Live. And then Sunday morning, our worship service comes out. So every single morning, there's content. And while initially there were huge numbers because everybody just needed something, while that's dropped down, we have seen that the people who are doing this are really growing. 
and really being strengthened because it's constant Bible study. You're constantly in the Word. Six different areas of the Word, too, where you're, because each pastor is doing a different book of the Bible. Um, and it's not like, it's also not thematic. It's just, let's walk through a book of the Bible together. And it is, it's growing people. And so it's that kind of constant feeding that we'd gotten away from. And this gets us, I think, to his second point, right? Um, it's that, that kind of constant feeding we're finding is much more effective for people. Because uh, this second point, I think, gets to that a little bit. It's a moving from seeking an extraordinary Sunday worship experience of energy and power, quote-unquote, to reliance on the ordinary, simple means of grace in covenantal worship. And, and I think it's, it's asking the question, what do we need out of our, not just our Sunday morning worship service for me, but also what do we need throughout the week? Um, when you read what the early church was about, they were meeting regularly. We say we meet once a week because of the way our society is. We work through the rest of the week. We don't have time together. Has that been most effective? And so I wonder as a congregant who's been separated out, what are you, when we come back together, what are the things that we need the most? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, I, and I hope that that moves us from a, you know, oh, this is a once a week activity to an interconnectedness that we see on an ongoing basis with other believers and, you know, other believers in our, you know, not necessarily in our local body, but particularly in our local body. Um, and I know that there are folks in my congregation, you know, who are already starting to think about that, you know, and what, how, you know, what is, what does our presence look like in the neighborhood and how can we love our neighbor, um, you know, through, through this. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do see that as a, a more of a, a, a more of an organic, uh, type of, um, you know, it's splintering off. So we're still going to have, the, you know, our Sunday worship, which for us, we're actually going to start back June 7th. I don't know what that's going to look like. And as of now, in our phase, we can, um, churches can um, meet with 50% capacity and, of course, practicing all those safety protocols. We may be in phase two by June 7th. So, again, I don't know what that's going to look like, you know, praying for our session and, you know, having to make through make those kind of decisions. Um, but I have noticed there has been more of an increase of congregants kind of touching base with one another. Mm. Um, I, you know, and, you know, sending out either, you know, text or emails about, hey, here's what I'm thinking you know, that we can do, I, I have seen more of that under these circumstances. Well, and I think, you know, what, what I notice in this tweet is, is it's, it's going back to basics in this particular tweet, in this point, right? Moving from that, like, we really want a big worship experience with all the energy and all the power. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. We want to enjoy being in worship. We, you know, for some of us, we like the louder music. We like that kind of energy. You're giving yourself but away. So. I'm giving myself a little away. <laughs> but here's the thing. I, listen, folks, I grew up on hymns, but I also enjoy, I, I like them both. Um, so I'll tell my charismatic, not charismatic, uh, that, that's the tip in another hand. I'll tell my contemporary worship leader, hey, do more hymns. And I'm asking the hymns only folks, hey, what about the newer music? Let's get it all in there. But here's the thing. I, it's stripping away some of the show to what is essential, 
What do we absolutely need together? We absolutely need that connection through the week. I think that we're seeing that. But he, he uses very specific language in this tweet, right? Ordinary, simple means of grace in covenantal worship. And so those ordinary means of grace um, get back to what does it mean to be a church? What are the marks of the church? And it's being willing to strip everything away if we have to so that the means of grace are there. And so we need to, we do need to gather in some form. We have to have the preaching of the word, right? So what are the marks of the church? Back in the day, there were three marks of the church, right? It was the preaching of the word, the right preaching and teaching of the word. It was the right administration of the sacraments and the right execution of church discipline. Uh, in my denomination, we have added a fourth mark, and that is um, where loving fellowship is maintained, um, which, which is a, in the EPC, that's one of the marks of the church. Others would add prayer into that as well. You go to some Baptist folks, and they've got nine plus marks of the church, right? But, um, we, we you know, love if, the Baptists, though. We so do. We no, love I, listen, I love the nine marks group, <laughs> and I love those who have even more. That's awesome. Praise God for them. Um, in the Presbyterian world, we have three or four marks. Um, but here's one of the things that's not a mark of the church, and I need folks to hear this because they're getting a little rebellious. Singing is not a mark of the church. Mm. And that's, that hurts. I grew up, I've, I've been playing music since I was five years old. My parents needed something for me to do when my mom was going to classes. I was at the piano class. And I've played music my whole life. I've sung my whole life. I was a worship leader for years before I became a pastor. But singing is not a mark of the church. And I know it's hard. But I, I read an article once. The, the churches in Germany have already started getting back together, but they're not allowed to sing. And one pastor in Germany said, I'm not even sure it's worth it if we can't sing together. And I'm going, I'm sorry, but singing is not a mark of the church, y'all. Um, we're going to have to be willing to come back to church if that means we don't sing. So up in New York, we're, we're looking at it and saying, I don't think we're going to be able to sing congregationally for a long time. Our choir is not getting back together for a minute. Mm -hmm. But we still need to gather because we gather around the marks of the church and singing is not a mark. And I think we have to be willing, even though we love it, to let that go a little bit because we have to get back to the ordinary, simple means of grace. Yeah, yeah, that that's a hard one for me because I think um, that is uh, pretty much on at the top of my list in terms of what I miss. It's not, I mean, and not receiving music as a you know as somebody you know as a bystander. It's participating in congregational singing where you hear the other voices because there is something about the unison of those voices you know, singing praise to the Lord that reminds you of why you're there and what Amen. it's all about, you know, and it harkens back to what Paul says in Colossians 3, you know, to sing and make melodies in your heart to one another. Um, and it's just a, a, a tangible reminder of what it's about. And it's interesting because I had not thought about it in terms of whether it's a mark of the church or not. Um, I think we do treat it as a mark of the church, um, but that that is going to be hard. Oh, that's going to be brutal. I mean, as a pastor, that's one of the things I, I mentioned. So I, our church has a podcast, and uh, we, we record a couple of weeks in advance. And uh, two weeks ago, the episode came out, and it was right before all these studies came out saying that singing in public could be dangerous. And I said, the number one thing I'm looking forward to is congregational singing again. And uh, we had somebody who's a listener to the podcast say, you know, are you, are you seeing these studies? And so we had to, we recorded again um, on Thursday of, of this past week, and we did an episode talking about some of the expectations for people coming back. And I had to say, you know, 
the one thing I was looking forward to the most we're not going to be able to do. And, and that hurts. Not being able to sing together hurts. But that doesn't mean we don't gather together. Um, and I think that we look forward to the day where we can sing. Singing is a, is a very important thing throughout the scriptures. I, I wonder what can we do that is corporate. You know, I mean, um, this is going to be hard for some of my Presbyterian brothers and sisters, but the Psalms also talk about clapping your hands. Can we, is there a way to clap corporately? Is there a way to bow corporately? You know. Uh, How do we think out the box? My theory is that, uh, there, at, you know, because we, this whole situation has repressed our, you know, ability, you know, to, to have church the way we're supposed to. That uh, this, you know, we could they, so Presbyterians are called the frozen chosen. There's, there's going to be some thawing going on. <laughs> uh, there's some Presbyterians are gonna, you know, kind of in, inch towards our Pentecostal brothers oh. and sisters just because right. of the the sheer relief and joy of being able to meet again. Well, maybe maybe that will be an improvement. For our Presbyterian so. worship, is all and I, I say that say. as a Presbyterian. Mm, I say it as a Presbyterian <laughs> minister. You kidding me? All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. Otherwise, we're going to do a six-hour episode on these six points. Uh, um, all right, the next move, number three, from celebrity, charismatic, personality-driven pastors who don't know their congregants to plural pastor leadership walking with and among the flock. He's obviously taking a shot here, and there are a couple of these tweets where he's taking shots at folks. Um, but Lisa, how do you respond to that third one? I say, amen, you know, and for those of us who are in smaller churches that, you know, your pastor is not, you know, they're, they're not on the speaking circuit and writing books, you know, they're, there loving their flock. They're there mm. preaching the word every Sunday and tending to, you know, to the needs of the congregation. And no, you're not going to see them on the, you know, the Gospel Coalition stage or this or that conference. Um, but for those who are and who are drawn to pastors like that, again, I think it's, you know, it, it's created, and I would hope that this whole situation has created a, a, a desire and, and, you know, a recognition of that need for presence. You know, mm. yes, we can tune in to, you know, a dynamic sermon, you know, by X, you know, X celebrity pastor X, but because our, our need for something more has hopefully been recognized and heightened, we're we're gonna want less of the charismatic personality and more of the the just there in presence pastor who may not be well known but is really tending to those needs. I agree with all of that. Everything you just said. But this is where for me, um this Twitter thread starts to break down a little bit. And I think it's it's not because I disagree principally. I just have some serious practical questions about this, right? So when you look at this, um, plural pastor leadership. I, part of the, the challenge here is is in on Twitter, you're not able to explain necessarily what you mean, right? So does he have the eldership in mind? Okay, well, then maybe... Maybe I'm there, but when you say plural pastoral leadership, I think a lot of us think multiple pastors, plural pastors. 
And, and this is where I start to go, okay, even a church of 200 people, you know, a lot of those churches can't afford plural pastors. You know, in the Presbyterian tradition, we, we have always, always prized the educated clergy. And what we mean by that is we want our pastors to go to school. In, in, in the vast majority of Presbyterian denominations, you have to have a master's degree to be able to be a pastor. Mm-hmm. A lot of the churches in our area would prefer doctorates. Um, and, and that's thankfully not super all over the place but some churches you look at their at their church form and they're like yeah we need a we need a pastor we'd like them to have their demon or phd it's like all right cool well see you later rest of us just have master's degrees but you have to have a master's degree ordinarily to pastor in order to do that a lot of pastors have to go into debt um, or they want to be paid commensurate with their education. They put in the money, they put in the time, the families have sacrificed, they want to be paid. And so how do you have plural pastoral leadership with very real practical financial questions? How do these small churches who, uh, now, and this is one of the heartbreaks for me in COVID, a lot of these small churches will not survive COVID-19. They did not have the, because they were not able to pivot in a certain direction, they're just not going to make it. Well, Okay, and this gets into some that we can kind of tackle a couple of these t- tweets at once, because later on, this final tweet is going to be moving from mega and multi-site churches marketed to a region, to local churches that resemble and are geared toward the local. Um, I'm not sure those necessarily are either or, the way that he puts it out there. I know a lot of, I mean, I'm at a multi-site church, so maybe this is just me going, eh, I don't know, because I'm multi-site, but... Um, Right. Our multi-site churches were multi-site because we're geared to the local. Right. Because we want to reach the very local. In fairness, though, your you all's multi-site is a little different from the standard model. It is. I mean, we have live preaching at all our locations. It's not coming in through a screen. So we have a pastor in each location. We have elders and deacons in each location. But we're all connected to the whole. And so... I think maybe what we want to look at is what about all these small congregations who can't afford to keep a pastor, much less plural pastoral leadership? What about these congregations that are looking at closing? How do these large churches who are multi-site, how do we graft them in in a way that we're able to serve them, we're able to pool all of our resources to be able to afford plural pastoral leadership? Listen, I'm all for plural pastoral leadership, but you got to be at a certain size to be able to afford that. And so I, I guess I start to have practical questions for, for our brother Derek. Um, I don't think that he is trying to be combative in any sense. I think he's asking really good questions. I'm just now responding with some questions of my own. How do you get to have all of what you're saying in, the, in this, this Twitter thread? How do you move from, okay, I get it. We don't want the celebrity, charismatic, personality-driven pastor who doesn't know your flock. I get that. But then how do you have the plural, the second half of this plural pastoral leadership walking with folks if you can't afford to pay them in our tradition? Does that mean that we have to move towards pastors becoming tent makers? Well, okay, perhaps. Perhaps that's the case. But then what about a lot of the pastors have to go into debt? Now we have to ask questions about seminary education costs. And, and now we've really got the ball rolling into a whole lot of different things. So he's, he's picking at something here that I'm not sure... We, we want to ignore. I think we want to pick at this, but it's much more complicated than just saying, yeah, cool, pastoral, plural pastoral leadership. Well, <laughs> that's a pretty big statement. It, we, it's more than, ah, we don't want to be multi-site to, we actually might need to be even more multi-site than ever before. 
Like these become part of my question. And you know, and it may just be, you know, strengthening the eldership. You know. Well um, yeah, I could very well see there. that happening. And I'll be honest, um, as this, you know, this as the lockdown kind of, you know, drug on, because initially when we stopped meeting, March fifteenth was our last in person meeting. Mm. And we thought, oh, yeah, a couple weeks, you know, but then as we got into April and then we knew by the end of April, like, oh, my gosh, who knows when we're going to be able to meet again. Um, I actually started entertaining the idea of something I have been really vehemently opposed to, which was the house church. And I started Mm. thinking that, you know, even if it's just this temporary stage and we can only meet with 10 people. You know, why not? Um, you know, yeah. as as a temporary means. Um, and so, you know, the fact that this situation was kind of encouraging me to think in that manner, and, and you know, for something that I have, have typically resisted, I, I think it really speaks to that you know that that need to you know to kind of be to be flexible, to you know to to get. Um, church, you know, some form of church that really satisfies what church is, is about and supposed to be about because it's not supposed to be online. Um, right. But this is where I am also in a similar way, something that I had resisted and resisted and resisted. I'm much more open to than I was before. Uh, and let me let me just put that there before I say, okay, now let's pause. I'll get back to that. That's called a teaser, folks. Stick around for another five minutes. I want to finish up okay. this thread real quick and uh, because I don't, I don't know that you want to spend too much more time with this, although it would be cool to, to speak directly with Derek at some point on this. Um, so moving from celebrity to plural pastoral leadership. From children and youth programs entertain, intended to teach at their level, quote-unquote, or entertain to equipping parents to train and teach their children to stay with parents um, and experience church life at their side as fellow church members. Uh, Amen. That's great. Um, From nostalgia, trying to recreate a past to embracing where we are today, bringing the faith delivered once for all to bear on the people here in a particular place and now. And that, that right there, moving from a nostalgia of the past to the present um, is, is where I'm more willing to open things up a little bit. I have resisted worship from a screen. I have resisted it and resisted it and resisted it. And then we got to this and I was forced into it like every other pastor that I know. And it may, it, it actually makes me wonder, what is the nature of these house churches going to look like? Because I, I agree with you. I think that we're going to have some form of house church going forward for a while. I don't know that that's going to be the only thing we have. But I think that we may look at it, and, and these become questions for me of going forward. How do we change things? How do we innovate beyond COVID and not just say, okay, what do we have to do? What is the innovation force that we have to do now? And then we can ignore it all when we get back, you know, after the vaccine is here in 2021. What are some of the things that I think can change for the good that move us forward? And I wonder... All of us have, have, not all of us, a lot of churches have had to invest in now an online church program, an online church structure. I don't know that we have to throw that out when we get back together. And I, I don't, 
I don't have all the things worked out. But I wonder, how do we leverage that for the sake of outreach to bring people in? How do we use house churches as tip of the spear outreach into our neighborhoods where you don't have to have a pastor in that house church? You have the full worship service there presented to you. It's on the screen. But you can have the fellowship. You can have the oversight. You can have the the um, the discipline there. You can have the um, you can have spiritual gifts being used. There's a whole lot of things you can do where we can utilize now our online screen product to do this other work that we can then eventually grow into having its own location with its own. Like there's a lot of interesting innovation questions, and a lot I know a lot of Presbyterians who are listening right now are freaking out and saying, "How dare you!" think along these terms, and I believe me, before March, I would have been saying the same thing, but I guess I'm just being opened up to things now, going, hmm, maybe, not not necessarily, but maybe the reason I was resisting, resisting was much more a nostalgia of the past mm. than it really was a hard and fast principle of what it means to be the church. And I'm not all the way ready to go like, all right, guys, let's just live stream church for the rest of forever. But I, I want to interrogate myself a little bit on that. And again, I think it goes back to that, you know, to recognizing the need, um, the needs of people um, that point them to the Savior. Um, and, we're, you know, so we are, we have learned that, um, you know, that technology does play a role in all of this. Because I'm trying to imagine, like, all of this, and we didn't, couldn't even have, you know, the YouTube. We don't live stream our services. They're pre-recorded. But we have Same had the us. Zoom Sunday school class, our small group meets via Zoom. And I'm trying to imagine what this would have looked like without that. You know, and you're right, it could be a way of forming an online, you know, a, some kind of online grouping. Um, I mean, even if it's through Facebook, um, you know, that, you know, kind of encompasses more than just our local body. You know, and I think of that specifically as this, you know, pointing to this article from, um, from by faith on the global church, right? Because it's important to think mm, about mm -hmm. how, you know, what what does this look like globally? We're so, you know, we tend to see things so U.S. centric, um, and maybe, you know, thinking about how technology unites us, you know, to people around the world, um, you know, and recognizing that uh, Christ is building a church from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Well, I think that, you know, the, the, that's a really interesting question, right? Because one of the things that struck me in that article as I'm reading through, you know, it's talking about these nations, um, one nation in particular that, that's, that's very poor. And um, how are they meeting? They're meeting on Facebook and on WhatsApp. And they're doing the same things. And it, it, it makes me realize, you know, there's some profound opportunity going forward. I, I, my prayer is that churches will look at what they've done during COVID and not, not said, how quickly can we throw this out? But more ask the question, how do we use this tool that has been thrust into our hand for the good of the kingdom? You know, I don't know why the Lord has allowed this to happen. I, I don't, I, I'm not going to 
even speculate. I have no idea why the Lord has allowed this to happen. And I wish he had not, but he has, and so we go forward. But I do think that as we come out the other side, we need to ask questions. What have we learned? What are some of the opportunities going forward? And these things we were forced to do, how can we leverage them now for kingdom good? And, and, and not just throw it all out. And, and I think we're learning some things. Like in our church, I, I would not be surprised if there is a, a, a streamed Bible study every single day for good. We're looking at this and just being like, you know what? We have to be pumping out content for our folks. Because if we don't provide content, Fox News and MSNBC are totally fine providing content for our people. You know, I mean, you can, TBN and Daystar, they manage to pump out content. Why aren't our local churches pumping out content? And, and these are fair questions that I think we have to really wrestle with. That's a great point. Well, listen, this has not been the season we wanted. <laughs> this in was so not the ways. season of, of family discussion in so many ways. Family discussion was supposed to be uh, season two going through all the political issues that we disagree on. We were going to have a really good time and we were going to model disagreement well. And, and I think we still managed to do that through this. But I think that um, maybe what we modeled inadvertently was the importance of flexibility. Brothers and sisters, we need to be flexible. And we became flexible. We did a different kind of second season than we expected. We're going to take a little bit of a break. And um, I think that that's important, not just for Lisa and I. I think it's important that we all focus our energies on um, coming back together. I think we focus our energies in praying for one another. Pray for your pastors. Pastors, pray for your congregants. Um, we're going we're gonna to be back together as family discussion in the fall. Lisa, what are you, what are you thinking about for this summer? Like, what, what are your thoughts as we head into the summer and towards the fall? You know, I, I think, what have we learned through all of this? What have we learned about where our attention is focused? What have we learned about our priorities? What needs to change going forward? I think that those are reasonable questions for us to ask of ourselves as we're, you know, again, being forward. We, like, we've all been forced into a, an undesirable situation. Um, and, and really, and how... And how how are we looking at the world? Through which lens are we looking through the Lord, through the through the world? Um, you know, are are we seeing it in in primarily a you know a partisan lens? Are we seeing it? How how are we looking at the world, and how does that reconcile with the grand narrative of Scripture? with God's character, with his his law that he's given us in terms of our, you know, reflecting on like what does it look like to love God and love neighbor. Um, and so I'm hoping that, you know, as we have been kind of forced into, you know, touching those areas that we under normal circumstances probably would not have to examine, you know, mm. to look at that yeah. and, and say, you know, what, what needs to change? What, 
what do I need to prioritize moving forward? So I, I'm hoping that, you know, and especially as things open up and, you know, there's just so much disagreement, even within the body of Christ about, you know, the lockdown versus opening up and, um, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that we are, are forced to see the bigger picture uh, in terms of what it what it means to be the body. Because I was, you know, I was thinking earlier today, it's like, man, we just really, this has shown us just how self-righteous judgy we can become, mm. you know, with each other. And it's like, you know yeah. what, I, I know my perspective. I know other people in the body don't share my perspective. And it's so easy for us to get on our soapbox and look at this person. But, but isn't that... You know, isn't that supposed to be awakening us to something else? And that something else being, how do we work together as the body of Christ? Yeah, you know, I think that that's, that's a great word. How do we work together as the body of Christ? It's, it, we are human beings who have been affected by the fall. And as much as we want to be of one mind and united together as the church, we manage to find ways to disagree about virtually everything. And I wonder, in the spirit of this podcast, but really looking at the way things are right now, how can we simply look for ways to disagree in a way that does not demonize the other? We, maybe being of one mind is not something that we can accomplish right now, and that's okay. Maybe we just need to figure out how do we love one another when we disagree? How do you not look at the person? I mean, this is political issues, but even this, this COVID-19, somebody who's really been banging on the door and saying, we need to figure out how to open up the economy. Maybe they're not trying to kill your grandma. And maybe the person that is saying, hey, we cannot open this back up because too many people will die. You know, maybe they're not socialists who are trying to give into government control. Can we can we figure out ways to disagree with one another? Listen, I don't think we should open all that quickly, but it doesn't mean I don't care about those who are hurting because they don't have jobs. My heart breaks for that. And Lisa, you're you're much more open to us opening this thing back up earlier than yes. than later. But that doesn't mean that you want all the old folks to die. We we cannot speak to and about one another in these extreme ways. And my, my, my sadness is that I think that we have allowed ourselves to become so partisan in the political world that we can't even view something like this without those lenses, without those extremes. And so my prayer for the summer is that we would see the church come together more. I feel like it is a prayer that will not come to pass. I pray in sadness because I don't believe that it's going to be true, but I also believe that in God all things truly are possible. And uh, so I'm going to pray to that end. And, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody who's been listening. I pray that you've been encouraged by this season, even as we've all had to adjust. And uh, we, we do plan to be back here again in the fall. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. We're not going to plan that far ahead because well, we don't know where we're going to be season, in the fall. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still going to be election season. So maybe we'll dive into some of that again. Um, but, you know... We'll see what the Lord does. Lisa, thank you for season two. Thank you. I hope you've had fun doing it. Yes.
Oh, I lost you. Oh, okay. I lost you there for a minute. That's <laughs> the beauty of Zoom. Um, you know, and uh, I know I've enjoyed doing it. I pray people have been encouraged. Until next time, everyone, we will see you uh, for season three of Family Discussion. Bye now. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.